The same Holy Spirit who just put that burden on Paul, I desired to uh, uh, preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, but where they'd never heard of him. He's still doing that. But he says, for this reason, I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I've had for many years a longing to come to you, after 15 years or more of itinerant missionary work all over the Roman Empire, Paul's hindrances, that heart where he says, I got to get it over here and over there, they've kind of been removed because he's seen God accomplish so much. And he says, I'm anxious to get to Rome. And he wanted to get to Rome, not to see Rome. He wanted to see the Roman Christians. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part four of the message titled Paul's Ministry. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Don't minister for your own glory, for your own credit, or in your own strength. Uh, he said, what, he, what Christ had, had accomplished through him, which resulted in the glory of God and the obedience of the Gentiles, he had done in the power of signs and wonders and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the power of signs and wonders, should we expect that today? I mean, that's what he says there. This was done in the power of signs and wonders, in the power, in other words, of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit works, does it necessarily mean that he's working with signs and wonders? Oh, I think not. God worked that way right after the resurrection in a very powerful way to confirm his apostles and to confirm the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look over at 2 Corinthians. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 12. You see, these men commissioned, had a special commissioning. I mean, Peter, Paul, James, John, Jude, they, uh, they were commissioned by the Lord. They were his sent ones. They were his apostles. And sometimes they were challenged. And sometimes they had to assert not their own authority and not their own uh, might or wisdom, none of that, of course. But they had to assert, assert their true apostleship and their authority from God. And so he said, uh, I feel foolish to have to do it, Second Corinthians 12, verse 11. But you've compelled me because the Corinthians were busy clamoring after the name of men. And so Paul had to do some of this defense, and he said, Listen, uh, actually I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles. Even though I am a nobody, he kept it in perspective. He couldn't even say this without kind of sandwiching in there. I'm a nobody, I know. It's not me. He said, But the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. God confirmed the true apostles through signs, wonders, and miracles. He confirmed the gospel. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And he says it in a very similar way. When uh, people, by the time Hebrews was written, were tempted to turn back from the gospel, from the body of truth that had been revealed through the apostles. And he said... Verse 1, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense. And by the way, the whole book of Hebrews, he's contrasting the old with the new. And he says, listen, we better pay much closer attention. Because if the old 
word spoken through angels, the giving of the law, and if it was unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how much more, he says, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If transgression against the law in the old dispensation was judged, how much more abandoning the gospel, the salvation that's been proclaimed and confirmed. Look at verse 3. After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also bearing witness with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. God used signs, wonders, and miracles to not only stamp the apostles, but to stamp their message, to stamp his approval on these things. But the emphasis of Romans is not that. The emphasis of the New Testament is not that, and it's not the norm throughout this age, and we ought not to be looking for signs and wonders and miracles constantly, nor is that necessary to know that a ministry is of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how can you know then? How can you know if your ministry is of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if it's not, I just said, whatever I'm doing in my own strength for my own glory is going to burn. Uh, it's important that we ask the question. And I would answer two ways. First of all, you can know a ministry is of the Holy Spirit because it will be scriptural. You see, God has spoken the Holy Spirit wrote a book. And any ministry that contradicts this book is contradicting the word of Christ, the word of the Holy Spirit, and it will not be of the Spirit. In fact, that's the first question we should ask of any ministry. Is it scriptural? And we should ask it within the church as we think about launching other ministries. Is it scriptural? What's our mandate? What's our commission? And a lot of what's being done today ought not to be done because it's not scriptural. And so it's important within a church, it's important when you're evaluating mission agencies or organizations that have this as their mission statement or that as their mission statement, you have to ask, is it scriptural? Is it scriptural? And if you're moved to a new town, you want to find a church, you first thing you should ask, is it scriptural? Is it of the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit has spoken and he will work consistent with his word. So I would say, First that, and secondly, this. Does this ministry produce the fruit of the Spirit? You say, is a ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's not enough that it just be doctrinally correct. I ask, does this ministry produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is evident. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faith, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Christ-like character. You see, Christ's gospel is to take hell-bound sinners, rescue us, and change us completely. It happens immediately in the sense that you're a new creature in Christ. And positionally, you are fit for heaven. But it happens experientially over a period of time. He's transforming us into the image of his son, and our character should become more and more Christ-like, more and more characterized by love, joy, peace, the fruit 
of the Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He works in our life to produce His fruit. And I'll tell you, that's practical, very practical. Christian, uh, let me ask you, is your ministry joyous? Is it loving? Is it peaceable? I'm asking you, is it of the Holy Spirit? And I'm not saying that it'll never make waves. Paul made a few waves, didn't he? <laughs> you say, was his peaceable? Well, he's shipwrecked three times, beaten five times, you know, uh, thrown in and out of jail. You say it was far from peaceable. No, it was peaceable. <laughs> he manifest the fruit of the Spirit in his life, and his converts did too, those whom he ministered to. So let me encourage you, that is the... Uh, best test of whether a ministry is of the Holy Spirit. Is it scriptural? And does it produce the fruit of the Spirit? Paul uh, insisted that whatever Christ did through him was in the power of the Spirit. So that, notice the end of it, verse 19, Paul was also not only uh, ministering in the power of the Spirit, but he was a pioneer. So that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I would not build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written in Isaiah 53, really Isaiah 52, but it's like the beginning of the 53rd chapter. Uh, when you read the 53rd chapter, read the end of 52. It's like the introduction to that great chapter of the cross, that great prophecy of the cross. And the last verse of 52 says this, They who had no news of him shall see, and they who had not heard shall understand. Uh, Paul was a foundation layer. He had a great desire to take the gospel, not where other men had already been, but where no one had gone with the gospel yet. He had a pioneering spirit. And so he ministered throughout the whole Roman Empire. And by now, he said, I've been from Jerusalem, Jerusalem as far around as Illyricum, which is way up in the northwest corner of Macedonia, which was right there in the Balkan area where all the strife has been in the last few years. Uh, modern Yugoslavia and all what we used to call Yugoslavia, all those uh, republics that are fighting each other and that sort of thing. Uh, he'd gotten that far at this point, and in just a minute he's going to be talking about his desire to get to Spain. Now, we don't have any record of him getting up there in the book of Acts, but we don't have a comprehensive record in the book of Acts of lots of things. I mean, turn over to 2 Corinthians just for a second. 2 Corinthians 11, verse... Um, I just semi-quoted at verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I tell you, you read that and you say, well, some of that I can remember in the book of Acts. But some of it I don't, I can't find it. No, you can't. The book of Acts is packed with action and adventure that Paul had for Jesus Christ and suffering, but it doesn't begin to cover the whole story. And so we wouldn't know that he'd made it up there as far as Alaricum had he not told us in the book of Romans. It's not even recorded in Acts, uh, but it's exciting to think about it. And it's exciting to me to realize that the same spirit who put that heart in Paul and who wrote that in Isaiah, and who 
has energized God's great mission to take the gospel to the world. For God so loved the world. The same Holy Spirit who just put that burden on Paul, I desired to uh, uh, preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, but where they'd never heard of him. He's still doing that. And so we've had person after person want to leave here and go out to take the gospel elsewhere. And you talk to missionaries out on the field and you say, well, most of the world has heard. You know, you get out there and yes, there's a sense in which there's been gospel testimony in every continent and in every country. But there are those, and I was just talking uh, with, not with him, but with another one about him this week, a guy that we know that personally just continues to want to push out and be where nobody's taken the gospel lately. And in fact, in some cases, for centuries. And it's exciting to see that. And God is still putting that on Christians' hearts. And in fact, it should be on our hearts. And he says, for this reason, verse 22, I have often been hindered from coming to you. For what reason? Well, he says, I want to get to Rome, but I've often been hindered. Why? Because he had so much evangelistic work to do. (laughs) They'd already heard the gospel at Rome. He hasn't been there yet. He's excited to get there. He longs to see them. He longs to establish them and be encouraged by their faith. But he says, for this reason, I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I've had for many years a longing to come to you, after 15 years or more of itinerant missionary work all over the Roman Empire, Paul's hindrances, that heart where he says, i got to get it over here and over there, they've kind of been removed because he's seen God accomplish so much. And he says, I'm anxious to get to Rome. And he wanted to get to Rome. For a long time, we saw that last time. He said that back in the first chapter. He wanted to get to Rome, not to see Rome. (laughs) I've actually read expositions of Romans where sloppy, I'd have to say, I mean sloppy expositors have said, Paul must have been excited to see the great metropolitan area and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, yakking about his great need or, you know, desire to see Rome. Now, he wanted to see the Roman Christians. And the missionary motive is not to see the world or to have adventure. The missionary motive is to serve Jesus Christ to his glory and to the salvation of men and women and boys and girls. And you might get plenty of it. You might get more adventure than you bargained for. But you don't travel just to travel. And young people, don't ever use the gospel just for your own benefit, your own little adventure, your own little travel time. Uh Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No. There might be time enough for travel and sightseeing. And you might even get some of that in ministry, don't get me wrong. But uh, that's not why you go. No, he went because he had this desire to minister to them. Whenever, verse 24, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Even now, he says... I'm on my way to Spain. When I do get to Rome, I'm going to be on my way. And you think of Spain, that was like way out there. You know, he's already said, I've ministered from Miami to Seattle or Los Angeles to New York. I mean, he's already spoken of the whole, if you look at the map, but now he even states it out further. He said, I want to get to Spain. He wanted to get out to the far west region of the known world with the gospel. And uh, he says, I hope to see you in passing and be helped 
on my way there by you. That uh, word is used nine times in the New Testament, to be helped on my way there by you. And it's really probably a technical term for the practice the New Testament church had of sending someone to accompany. When he would come through Rome, he was hoping that they would send someone with him. And you look at Paul, and he seldom traveled alone. He took men with him. And so he would hope that they would help him on his way. And uh, it's oftentimes translated accompany or escort in the book of Acts. And he says, after I first enjoyed your company, look at that last phrase in verse 24, for a while, in part, literally. Paul didn't expect to get his full of, uh, his fill of fellowship. He said, I'm going to be there in Rome, but I'm not going to be there long enough to get everything I'd like to get from your fellowship. I'll be there for a while, in part, literally, is what he said. And the thought is that he wasn't down here just to be fully fulfilled. And I would just uh, challenge all of us to be careful about slipping into the idea of just looking for Christian life fulfillment. Now, you see a guy like Paul, and he just kept pressing on. And I'm not saying that we should all be headed to Spain or to the farthest reaches of the mission field, not at all, but all ministry should have kind of that heartbeat. And we're not here to be fulfilled. We're here to fulfill the ministry that God has commissioned us with. And... uh, I'm thinking here, verse 25 through 29, should I tackle it? (laughs) I'm going to read it anyway. But now I'm going to Jerusalem. By the way, he was in Corinth when he wrote Romans, and uh, he had a task. He wanted to go west. I want to get to Rome, and I want to get to Spain. But from Corinth, he's going to have to go east. He had to go back to Jerusalem. Why? Because he says, now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so. And they're indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I've finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain." And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. He said, you know, I'm wanting to get to Rome. I want to go west. I want to see you, and I want to get to Spain, but I've got to go east. Why? It wasn't like I've got to go. He was excited to go back to Jerusalem because he was taking money from the churches, the Gentile churches, notice, of Macedonia and Achaia, who'd been ministered to by the saints spiritually from Jerusalem who sent the gospel out, they were now indebted to give back financially, and they were. And this plays a big role in Paul's heart. And uh, I wish we had the time. I don't have the time, but I'll just tell you that he writes about this in Corinthians. And he honors what they'd done. And we are not only pleased, notice he says they were pleased to do so. Giving to the Lord's work is a joyous thing that pleases us. If there's really a work of God in your heart, you desire to give to his work and to further his work. But we're indebted. He says they're indebted to, under obligation to do so. And I would just suggest to you that giving to the Lord's work isn't because preachers on TV harangue you to do so 
or that it's just a money-grubbing thing. Not at all. But where the work of God is deep in a heart, there will be a deep desire to further the gospel any way we can. And it is, in fact, ministry. Look at the phrase there in verse 27. They are indebted to minister. And that's the same root he used back there in verse, what was it, 16 or 15? To minister as a priest. We're to minister the gospel by giving, and they did. And he closes. He says, I know that when I come to you, verse 29, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. You know, let me just uh, comment on that just for a second. He says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Then he calls for them to pray, to agonize with him in prayer, because he knows he's entering dangerous ground. When he gets back to Jerusalem, there's going to be danger there, and he knows it. But he says, I know when I get to Rome, I'm coming in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. How can he know that? You know, every Christian can know, can have those kinds of certainties. Did it mean that he was going to come to Rome the way he'd planned? No. He's not going to get to Rome the way he'd planned. You know how he's getting to Rome? In chains. He's going to come as a prisoner. He's going to have to appeal to Caesar to get to Rome. That's how he's going to get to Rome. It's not going to be the way he thought, but he said, I know I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. You see, the fullness of the blessing of Christ is walking with God. And wherever God takes you, even through prisons, can be the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And I'll tell you, you know, that is a bottom line security that I know very little about, and I'm sure most of us know very little about, but we can grow in our knowledge of that day by day. And those of you who've been through real deep water, when you got the diagnosis you didn't really want, and that you had everybody praying the other way, and it came down the way you didn't want, you know a lot more about it than I do when you say, Yet I know the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Because you know what? This book is the book that told us that God causes even those things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. He's going to see us safely through to his eternal kingdom. We do know our final destination. And it may be Rome the way we expected or Rome not the way we expected. We may or may not ever get to Spain, so to speak, in our planning and ministering. But we can know our final destination and we can know that everything in between is from the hand of a good God. Oh, walk in the power of His Spirit and you can know this kind of certainty and this kind of blessing. And uh, I believe that's God's will for each of us. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Paul's Ministry, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. If you've ever wanted Pastor Scott's sermon library in the palm of your hand, we have a new app available called the Abide app. It's available in both the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. 
Along with the Sermon Library, you'll also find Scott's written publications, biblical seminars on a variety of subjects, daily devotional videos, this radio program, and the Abide Method, a monthly Bible reading and writing plan developed by Scott to give you the opportunity to read and write out Scripture. These resources all come free within the app, so if you're looking to deepen your relationship with Christ, please consider downloading the Abide app in either the Apple or Google App Stores. We'd love to get this valuable resource into your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 a.m. It's best to check the 800 a.m. program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. The risen Christ, Ephesians 4 says, has given some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. And Paul was both. I mean, he was an apostle and he was a special guy, but he had that evangelistic heart. He went out where... He said, I don't want to build upon another's foundation. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. And Paul would be the first to say, look, in Corinth, for instance, I planted Apollos water, but God caused the growth. And he would exhort us. In fact, he's one of the main human teachers that told us about the body of Christ and how we work together. And so we rejoice when we get to follow someone up, for instance, that somebody else led to Christ. Or we get to lead someone to Christ and, and leave it to someone else to follow them up because we're not able to. We're gone or whatever. And it's a joy to be involved in both. But Paul had this evangelistic heart. God burdened him to not just build on others' work, but to go out where the word of the gospel had not gone. And you see that as he opened up so much of the Roman Empire, humanly speaking, for the gospel. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part five of the message titled, Paul's Ministry. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.